The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Oh, it's hot. It's a scorcher. Inflation, that is. Earnings season gets underway. Airlines up. Banks well, doing okay. What do we know about money? Well, it's Financial Literacy Month. All this and much more on episode number 762 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Yes, it is Financial Literacy Month. So how about we give away some books? I'll tell you more about that in a second. Hey, again, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and hope you saw those uh, incredible crawfish I had this weekend. Lots of fun. This time of year, I posted on Twitter. I posted on my Instagram channel. By the way, if you want to know that Instagram channel where I dedicate just to food and my fun with all sorts of culinary events and experiences... It's dad bod food blog because, well, I have a dad bod. So, I mean, why not? The kids gave me that name. They thought it would be funny and ha, ha, ha. So there it is. Dad bod food blog on Instagram and Andrew Horowitz, of course. Just my name with no punctuation anywhere else. Just Andrew Horowitz is my Twitter handle. But, yeah, it was a fun weekend. Uh, we had the paella guy come to the house. I, I actually um, bought that at a charity event which was great because the money goes to a good cause. And I had him come over. We had 60 pounds of crawfish that a buddy of mine who is a crawfish master, he boiled up. We had my DJ from across the street. He came over and another friend with a guitar came along for a sing-along. And that, isn't it, that's what it's all about, right? Enjoying life. Enjoying life. And one way we could do that is to set yourself straight financially. So you can, well... So you can reap what you can sow. I guess that's the best way to describe it. You can actually benefit on all the hard work that you do all the time. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, I work so hard. What is it all for? Well, it's for the things that we do in life. It's, it's part of the process. Whoever built this process about, listen, you got to work and you make some kind of wage, whatever it was back in the beginning or barter to then get something else, whether it's your housing, your food, just the ability to live throughout life requires that you earn a living. And then you have to plan for yourself for that time that, quote unquote, you decide not to work. You know, this design that happened many years ago, the idea that we work from when we're, let's call it 20 years old approximately, till where, as a matter of fact, I remember back in the 80s when I was first training, learning, studying about what it was to be in the financial planning arena. I remember that we did planning that, okay, Mr. 35-year-old, you're going to be working till you're about 60-ish. Then you're going to retire. And at 60, you're going to start pulling money from your investments and income from your bonds that back then were 5 6%. And you were going to live, all, well, a ripe old 10 years, maybe to 70, 74 years old max. And that's it. 
all over. Money goes to the family, move along. That's not the case anymore. And back then, the difference was also, if you think about it, that there were defined benefit plans where you would work for somewhere, and you can still do this in some cases, but you'd work for a company. And generally speaking, that company would have an obligation that they would pay for your retirement as long as you lived. It could have been 60% of your salary or maybe something like, you know, 82% of your final two or three years. There was all sorts of calculations that went into that. But somewhere along the line, the companies decided that, you know what, it would be a lot easier if we didn't have that burden anymore. This is one of the reasons why GM and Ford, for example, have such a significant overhang as compared to a company like Tesla or some of these other companies like Rivian, where they do not have the massive amount, not only of employees and the employee benefits they pay today, which may be the case if they ramp up production, but what they don't have is the ongoing obligation to pay for the continuing claims or the retirement benefits of those people that worked for a number of years. Maybe they worked for Ford for, for 20 years and now... They're on the payroll for the next 20, 25 years, not doing anything. And the set-asides they had to do in the pensions and the obligations and assumptions they made in their plans are totally defunct because interest rates, which was the assumption that they would utilize at, let's say, a 5% factor, is no longer even attainable at a safe margin. So therefore, these pension plans have had to go outside the box and do things like put a lot of money into stocks and and other instruments in order to gain Bitcoin for that matter, to gain the opportunity to pay for the pensioners. But I digress. I digress. I moved somewhere that we shouldn't have maybe. Fact is that what I'm saying is that you have to rely on yourself these days. No one else is going to take care of you. And you can say, hey, Horowitz, what? Well, hey, hey, what about, hey, I'll get an inheritance. All right, great. That's good. You know, I'll get Social Security. Okay, that is, that's in the calculation. But if we all look at what we make right now, what we spend right now, and the, the, the style that we're accustomed to generally, are you going to have enough money between your Social Security, let's forget the inheritance, Social Security and your retirement income from 401ks, IRAs, and money that you set aside? Maybe you say, well, I'll sell the house and I'll go somewhere cheaper. Maybe. But if you looked and tried to do that right now, rental prices are through the roof. Where would you actually do that right now? So what we have to look at is the reality. And, and a lot of this comes into play of understanding what finance and money and, and all the items that are under that category really mean. And that's where we get to the idea of Financial Literacy Month. And I thought one way we could do that is to help you a little bit to go through a bit of a journey today, picking up on some pointers and helping get towards your place of what we call financial security, which of course means something different to each one of us. What we're going to do, I'm going to help you out. If you send in your questions and send in any comments to me, what I'm going to do is give away books. I'm going to give away the Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success. And here's what I want you to do. So it's going to be random. We're going to just uh, blindly pick probably about a dozen books to send out. And you can just simply go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com, click on the Ask Andrew button, and throughout the month of April, what we're going to do is utilize your questions and comments 
on episodes to come to help you get more educated in the area of finance, understand money, and figure out all the things that you need to do to make sure that you are set up for your future. Now and into the future, whether it's planning for college or retirement or legacy planning, for the next generations to come, we are going to set up the best of our ability, right, together, the way to do that. So go over to there, do that, when, you know, and, and uh, we will randomly pick a dozen people by the end of the month, and we'll send you on books. I'll even put a little initial in there, an inscription in the book so you can get that. And I think you really like that. Uh, that that uh, is a Discipline Investor Essential Strategy for Success, which also is available on Audible, by the way. You can grab that. So I, I think one, one thing that we want to just, just, just for a second, just for a moment, talk about is the fact that I'm not going to spend any time in this episode talking too much about what we've seen last week, which was inflation. Yeah, we're right in the middle, or right, actually not in the middle, we're in the start of earnings season. We saw some of the banks come out, Delta Airlines came out, some of the other airlines are coming out. We saw Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs, and we saw, who else did we see? J.P. Morgan come out as well. Um, really a lot of, well, I'll even call it a kerfuffle about Elon Musk, once again, trying to stay relevant with his ridiculous, as brilliant as he is, and as rich as he is, just as equally childish. With his offer for Twitter, offer for Twitter at uh, $54.20. <laughs> oh, Elon, you're so funny. Uh, $4.20, you had to put $4.20 in there. Oh, it's such a laugh. Last time he did that, if you recall, it was not true. I don't know if he's smoking, doing, I don't know what's going on as he is going through this process of thinking about what he's going to do with this. But the bottom line on this is very simple, that there is a significant amount of um, desire on his part to change Twitter. Now, whether or not that's going to be allowed, I don't know. We're not going to go through that today either, because I, I do believe he's going to pull out of this deal and probably it's not going to happen. That's just my thought. He's going to probably raise it to, oh, Elon, to, let's see. It would be 5690, so we can get the number 69 in there. <laughs> Elon, such a jokester. So funny. But, or maybe some, some uh, I don't know, some, some permutation of the 69 and 420 will be in there somewhere. But inflation was, was something also. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to mention that we did see some very significant inflation. A lot of people are probably scratching their heads saying, you know, we saw over an 8% inflation rate on the CPI this week. We saw a PPI come out. It's unbelievable. On the unfinished good up to the manufacturers at over 11% on an annual basis. And meanwhile, wait a minute, bond yields went down. Wouldn't we expect that if we see the continuation of an inflationary environment, that we would see a significant amount of yield move because the Fed is going to be more emboldened to raise even more quickly than they had originally anticipated. And maybe they'll start even backing off on their bonds and start reducing their balance sheets that much more quickly. But no, 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 no. What happened was we saw a backup in rates. And why is that? A lot of different reasons. Possibly we're getting to the point of maybe closer to the end of these ridiculous levels of inflation. And maybe we look at the year over years and look at the uh, last numbers that we're going to compare next month and the months after. And maybe we'll see a slowdown in the rate of inflation. Not that prices 
are going to drop. Although we're starting to see that used car prices are starting to come in a little bit. Starting to see that uh, trucking rates are coming in. Very interesting notes that I've been reading throughout the week. Maybe what is happening, the financial condition tightening that we've seen recently by the Fed is actually doing something in the background even though on the surface we're continuing to see inflation pick up because that inertia that we're seeing with inflation is very difficult to slow until we start getting to the peak area, which maybe we are there. Maybe we're getting towards that end. So that is why I think markets are doing what they're doing. I think also the addition of the question about how long is this war going to go on and how entrenched is Vladimir Putin in this and, and, and how are are we going to see the oil situation, the commodity situation, uh, the possible entry of other forces and getting involved there and what does this look like? Plus, I think we have to put in the equation the reality of the lockdowns in China and what's going on there. I mean, the fact of the matter, what we have is a significant situation where there is a big amount of uh, concern that the ports are being closed and supply chain again. And with all that, is that going to yield to inflation or are we going to see something much different out of this? And therefore, bonds may be reacting, saying, you know what, we peaked out enough right now for the moment, for the moment. And the Fed's got the idea. The bond vigilantes have shown their stuff. Rates went on a parabolic move higher. Bond prices went down. Maybe it's time just to wait and see for a little while as economies around the world absorb a lot of the things that are happening. So that's all what I'm going to talk about there because I want to get to something in the area of financial literacy. And I want to talk about why it's such a difficult thing for many people to grasp. And uh, I also want to answer a question that I thought was extremely timely from um, Chris E. And he, and he, and he basically said he, he loves listening to Discipline Investor podcast and DH Unplugged, which we do uh, with John C. Dvorak every, every week. He says, uh, you don't seem to talk about yourself, Andrew, too much or your company about what you do too often. And, you know, it may be worthwhile explaining to people exactly what you do because that could be very helpful for them in, in, their, in their journey. So we're, we're going to talk about that as well, and I'll give you a real insight, an inside baseball, if you will, of what we do on a regular basis. But um, I want to talk about fi- financial literacy and this idea that so many people have such a hard time understanding the area of finance. And um, really discuss financial literacy with regard to um, you know, how we could really conquer this and what we could do about this. So let me give you the definition of what financial literacy is. Uh, it's the ability to understand and effectively use various skills in the area of finance, including personal financial management and budgeting and um, investing. Financial literacy is the foundation of your relationship with money and is a lifelong journey of learning. Now I grabbed that off of the, the interwebs 
And I thought it was a very, very good definition. I thought it really covered a lot of areas because it talked about the understanding and effective use of the financial skills. And also I want to tell you that if you really think about what we're saying there, what is financial literacy and this idea of this lifelong journey of learning, just by the fact that you're listening to this show means that you have a big leg up on many others, that you are taking this seriously and you are a part of the journey of financial literacy. It's a learning process for all of us. The learning curve changes, grows, moves on a regular basis, new products, new designs, new markets, new inputs that we need to deal with. But you should congratulate yourself for listening to this show and other shows like it and other podcasts and news and reading books and trying to understand all of it. You don't need to be an expert to be financial literate. You don't need to be understanding derivative contracts and understanding how to read bond debentures in order to be financially literate. And more importantly, for those of you that think that maybe, you know, I have a lot to learn here. You need to know something. You're not stupid. You're not dumb or anything remotely close to those kinds of descriptions if you have difficulty with your relationship with money because so many people do. Not everyone has to be a money genius. Nor does anyone, and I, and I mean you, have to have a love for the entire situation of finance. Listen, can we talk for a second about the fact that not all of us are good at singing or dancing or skiing or ice skating? Or how about putting things together or yard work, right? I mean, it, not everybody is uh, really good at all that. But don't get intimidated about finance and about money. I mean, here's the thing. For many people, they have a basic understanding of something, but sometimes when it gets more complicated, they get frustrated. I mean, if you're good at plumbing and your pipes need fixing and maybe you have an idea of how to do it, are you going to do it yourself or maybe hire somebody? All depends. You're a do-it-yourselfer. Some people are do-it-yourselfers. But some people just feel that maybe we should bring in a professional to do it. I mean, if you uh, have um, a garden or um, your, your lawn, and if you have a knack for killing everything green, but insist on mowing it and tending to the garden, what is that going to look like? Have you ever thought about those things that you're just not good at, that you just insist on doing over and over and over again? And while at some level... You may say to yourself, you know, I'm doing this because I want to get better. I want to improve. I want to learn. I want to, I, I want to conquer this. Sometimes that's not the best way of doing things. Oftentimes it seems like, hey, there's a simple solution to this issue, right? If I can't keep my, my lawn green or I, I just can't fix my pipes, my electrical, whatever, whatever the story is, it's, hey, let's just hire a pro. But no. Some people think that dealing with money and finance can be done on the cheap and by yourself. And let me give you some insight into this. And this is why we do it together. 
imagine for just a moment, imagine if you had a, I guess, a, we'll talk about haircutting. Imagine if you have a no cost or really inexpensive, I mean cheap, like, you know, pennies, a barber or a hair shop that they did your hair like everybody else's because they have to, right? Because they need to keep it standardized. Bowl cuts for all, which is like indexing for all, but not everyone is the same. I think what happens is what you pay for when you go to a professional stylist, a haircut is more than just a cut. Yes, of course, we like to chat and chit-chat and all that, but it's, it's a matter more importantly. This is the important thing that I see and how to bridge this issue with, with finance is we need to have an understanding of what's out there, what we want, how we want to look, maybe even goals for a hair. Let's kind of use that as a base. It may sound silly, but just let's go with this. The difference in all of this and why we go to somebody professional to really go to the next level, whether it's a special cut, a special blowout for the women, or any other kind of work that we want to do, is it's a matter of perspective. Perspective. You know, you could probably cut your own hair. You have the ability, right? You could take scissors or clippers or whatever you're going to use and snip, 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 cut, cut, cut. Plug it in, zzz, buzz it all, do what you're going to do, right? But what about when you get to parts that you can't see, that are hidden from your viewpoint? Maybe you can't do the back. You could use a mirror maybe. I don't know. You can start thinking about using a mirror. But you don't have the perspective still of someone who is standing and who's got your back and who's standing behind you when they're cutting your hair to give you that perspective of what it looks like in its totality, from the front to the back, back to the front, side to side, side to front, side to back, all that. They also may have newer techniques, sharper scissors, and a great product. And all this may be more expensive and much more difficult to deal with than just sitting at home, using the clippers, and getting it done. But there are other long-term benefits maybe that are possible, like, hey, I didn't even know that hairstyle was available. I didn't know you can cut hair using that Device? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is simple. It's simple, right? I get it. I get it. This is, what are you talking about? Like, how, uh, I don't understand. What I'm talking about is utilizing, whether it's education to back you up, not just flippantly making decisions on your finances, using a professional along with what you're doing to find out where you can get better perspective. And sometimes, you know, let's go back to the haircut for a second. You just need a haircut. You just need something, well, simple, easy, and quick. Just, you know, get it done. I had one yesterday, as a matter of fact. I went and I got, like, hey, cut my hair. How do you want it done? I don't know, just shorter than what I have right now. Right? But these days, I got to tell you something. Even getting an appointment for a haircut is... Theoretically been made easier, but so much more difficult. Oh my goodness. I have to make a haircut appointment online. There's a thousand questions and pop-ups and codes and text backs. All I want is a haircut. I mean, why does that have to be so difficult just to get a haircut? I used to walk in and say, hey, Charlie, I want to get a cut. 
They sit down in the corner, waited 20 minutes, whatever, read a magazine, chit-chatted, went for a walk, got a haircut. Now they're like, oh, hello, did you make an appointment? When they're not even busy. And this can be branched out into so many other businesses. Got to make it so difficult because they have to try to make it so easy. And I think we bridge that over. The point of this is, oh, let's bridge this over to finance. And try to make it look so much more complicated than it is. And make you seem to think that, you know, buddy, you can't do this on your own at all. But I think we need to try to simplify the process. Because when we start getting into too much thought about finance and and all the things and possibilities and taxes and estate planning and all the things related to, well, do I want to be in stocks, bonds, gold, Bitcoin? Oh, my God, what about the current? What if I go into Bitcoin and what if they confiscate regulations? Oh, but if I don't go into Bitcoin, what happens if the dollar is just obliterated? All this leads a lot of people to, I think, what we call analysis paralysis, right? I mean, it, it, that, that's that's what happens. And I think that many of you people just can't decide the right time, the best investment. And what people are looking to do oftentimes is you have the perfect decision. I have something to say. Stop it. Seriously. You need to stop it. I had somebody email me today that they made this decision on their investments. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And and I was going to look at it and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? It seems to be so difficult to work on something when you're trying to get absolute perfection on a moving target. The idea that I have to make the absolute right move today, that's not true. You need to stop it. Let it go. There is no perfect decision because that is going to change over time. You need to set your goals, your your your, your prospect of what you're going to do, lay it out, and then set it up now with the idea that it's going to change over time, either incrementally or radically. There's going to be something that happens. Listen, 10 years ago, were any of us even thinking about the potential for a pandemic and setting up our portfolios for what that would look like in the future? Uh, No. Five years ago, was anybody thinking about this kind of hyperinflation that was caused by a release of so much stimulus by the government and then a war that would reflect on oil so dramatically? No. So let's try to simplify the process a bit and not give yourself that analysis paralysis and not have a situation where where you just can't do anything. And I'm giving you permission right now, right here. I'm giving you permission to say, I can do something. It doesn't have to be the end all be all, but I don't need to be stuck any longer. So let's just start with a little something and move on from there. And um, 
And that, and that's what I want to lead into because a lot of people are like, well, what do I do? What do I do? Every week we come on, we talk with, with great guests. We discuss markets. We talk about opportunities. We look at all sorts of angles and educate about markets and finance and various components of taxes and the, the entire round process and the, the, the idea of, well, you start here, you end here, and how do we do it throughout I got some great emails from a variety of people. One of them I talked to you about in the beginning from Chris. He talked about, hey, why don't you go through what you do exactly? Because I think a lot of people are interested. I think more so, I think it's of interest because it will give you some insight into how we do things and how I evolved over the years into what we do now for clients, but more so give you a better understanding of what it takes to be involved in this area. So, um, First of all, let's just get a few things on the table. I think it would really be important. And about once a year or so, I go through some of this. So some of you may have heard this before. But listen, we're an investment advisory financial uh, planning firm. We work with individuals and companies, charities, pension plans, um, IRAs, 401k rollovers, for example. Anybody in any state, anywhere pretty much around the world we can work with. Some issues with European clients, with the constraints we have put on because of the laws there regarding certain uh, mutual funds and things of that nature. But 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 generally speaking, um, you know, if you're in the United States, yes, we work with you. Several strategies that we offer that are tailored to different types of investors as well, because not everybody's the same, right? Some people are like, hey, you know what? I want all in. I want to get in. I want to be invested. I want to be active. And, and that's great. And, and there's a place for that. Some people are like, you know what? I want to be pretty conservative, but I know I got to have some level of inflation protection equities. I want to be diversified. We have something there as well and a lot in between. And yes, I'll work with you. We have minimums range from 10000 to 500000 depending on the portfolio. We set up one of the portfolios that I'll talk about that was based on the commentary and requests from you because everybody's like, you know, uh, not everyone has uh, $50,000 or $500,000 to invest. So what we did was we created a program that basically everybody that has any money uh, available can invest it with us. And that was a $10,000 minimum. So that was really kind of cool. Did that with your help. So all you need to do is reach out and we'll get started with you. But here's the deal. I started off years ago, many, many years ago. <laughs> in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And I was looking deeply into the area of portfolio construction. And at the same time, trying to understand risk mitigation. And I was introduced to the work of Fama and French, uh, Harry Markowitz, for example, Bill Sharp, um, and and, uh, names like Brinson, B. Bauer, and Hood. And these people were at the forefront. These were these were incredible minds in the forefront of both academia as well as actual investments that were working on mathematical equations to, to understand better really what was the risk factors that were involved in investing. And I met some of these people over the years. I learned from their work. I had dinner with a couple of them. Developed, at that time, what we call, we still have today, the global allocations that had different risk characteristics and styles. 
for um, different types of investors. And we use that to this day as a staple of what we do for clients with our globe, within our global allocation portfolios. And, and what, does that, what does that actually mean, right? Well, that's good. Hey, great. So I spent all this time, met all these unbelievable people, learned and imp implemented the work of some of the greatest minds in the world of finance. Okay, what does that mean to me, right? Well, what we developed and what I worked on over the years was a way of diversifying a portfolio in a way that once we understand what your risk is, your time horizon, and your general needs. We set the stage of what we're looking at today for the future, right? That changes. But for today, for the future, we create a portfolio based on what the inputs you provided. And we invest primarily through a diversified structure of mutual funds and ETFs. At what we look at as an important, very, very vital part of very... Um, this combination of low cost and cost efficiency. We use institutional mutual funds primarily. We use ETFs. All these are great tools. And if we could do it at the lowest cost to you, well, that gives you the opportunity to have a great, you know, great return, better returns uh, net over time. Because we take out the, some of the expenses from these funds by going and searching for the best managers that we could find that fit into various sectors based on the work that we've done creating these global allocations, looking at a variety of areas. Now, this all is consolidated in a white paper that we wrote short, you know, I don't know, under 10 pages, that covered how we developed the style and discussed passive and active management. Talk about the efficient frontier, as well as portfolio construction in that. Basically, it, it, it shows you how that I developed and were a are able to put together portfolios. So if you want a copy, you can go over to the same place. Go to the disciplineinvestor.com, the Ask Andrew, click on that button and uh, send a request. Send it uh, that we want. Hey, I want the white paper, and we'll send that out to you. But uh, the big difference between some of the areas that we use and this idea of why we'll use things like ETFs over mutual funds or mutual funds over ETFs is, is, is the idea of efficiency, right? We also look at macro features, looking at forward ideas, which is important, of course, um, which is why, for example, right now we have short duration and tips or treasury inflation protected bonds and gold, silver holdings inside the portfolio. And importantly, over the last year and a half, while we've considered an important part of the portfolio construction, alternative assets so that there is less of a correlation with equities or bonds or even anything else in the portfolio, we could have something that is much different. We've also have a value tilt right now. These are all the things that go into the construction of a portfolio based on modern portfolio theory, based on the studies that were done with Markowitz and Sharp and Fama and French, all of this it still is very viable today. What we try also to do is look outward and say, okay, you know, do we want to have a portion of the portfolio here based on these fact patterns going into the next year or two years? Do we want to be in hedged 
or unhedged currency international exposure. And then importantly, this is really important. This, this, is, this is a key part of this process. We balance the portfolio on a regular basis. It's like tilling the soil, moving money into sectors that we like that may or may, or may not be working right now. And rotate and continually look for those opportunities to add to areas that we, in fact, like for the longer term. And at the same time, trim some of the profits to take your gains and lock them in. It's called a rebalance. And there's tax harvesting and other things that go along there. But basically what's happening there is that, that you want to maintain, as long as you are maintaining that allocation, a proportional amount of appropriate percentages in each of the various sectors. Now, those accounts we hold at Schwab, which is a great brokerage firm and, and good service. It's for long-term investing, for people that want some kind of risk management in their portfolio and diversification, which is what do we talk about all the time, right? Rotation and rebalancing and diversification and risk management. We that 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 is a constant topic on the show. And that's something you really need to to, to look at and think about with regard to if that is something that fits your particular outlook. Listen, if you say, you know what? Man, I just want to put my money in Bed Bath Beyond and GameStop. Probably not the kind of portfolio that you want to have. But if you're looking to have something that gives opportunity with balance and diversification, that's more like what we do with the global allocations. And it's also very similar to what we do with our we call, we call it the robo-advising, the, the advisor-crafted, the technology-enhanced uh, program called Investology. That's why we built it. Because we wanted to have the opportunity to have a similar style of portfolio with um, a lower entry for people. So it's $10,000. Uh, but basically, you can go over investology.com and check all that out. And then um, on top of that, we also have the more aggressive-minded. Those that like the idea of owning stocks and the potential for hedging and shorting, we developed the TDI Managed Growth Strategy. This is not a competitor to the um, S&P 500 or the NASDAQs, NASDAQ or, the, or pick any of your other indices, not at all. I always tell people that. I said, listen, if you want the S&P 500, if you want the NASDAQ, if you want the Dow Jones, go out and get those. Go get the SPY, go get the Qs. Those are all available, you know? You don't need to necessarily look at um, the, the, that one. So here's what we do. In that strategy, we have a core of about 5,000 stocks that we look at. We start paring it down. What we look to do is we look for stocks that meet certain criteria. We have things like um, expanding margins or consistency of earnings or revenues or management tenure there's, there's, there's ROE benchmarks that we have. And what we do is we try to find stocks that meet those criteria on a regular basis, rotate the portfolio, and go through this filtering and screening process on a quarterly basis. But what it naturally does is expands and contracts the portfolio. So, for example, um, this was all based on a process that was developed by me as I was putting the book, The Disciplined Investor, together, something called Quanta Funda Techno, looking at 
quantitative investment process with fundamental analysis, which is all about looking under the hood, understanding what the company is doing, the ratios, their financials, and technical analysis, charting. And it created a process. This expansion and contraction of the portfolio based on this filtering and screening process is just one part of the portfolio component. This is the core equity positioning. And what happens is, it's from time to time, we'll see a much lower amount or much greater amount of stocks that come through that process. And all dependent on how many stocks actually get through that process will help us determine what the equity allocation will be. If there is a small amount of number of companies that come through, it's, you, know, you have to think to yourself, hmm, maybe it's a tough environment out there. Maybe it's not the best time to be invested. So took this to um, this basic, very, very basic pre-portfolio. And we were asked to be involved with the Microsoft Money Central. At the time, it was an investment challenge. It was like five pros and one amateur competing. And we were looking at the process as I just put out that book, which is that many years ago. And I'll tell you, in the end, I wanted 14% up while others were down. The other four or five were down anywhere from 10 to 40%. It was during a very difficult time in the markets. And a lot of the time, we spent talking about why we're not going to be invested and looked for opportunities either to short or go long. And that's not the benchmark either. The point here is that there was a process. There was thought. There was outlook. There was no spaghetti thrown on a wall. But we know not everything works. Not every idea is going to work out, right? We know that. Some things need to cut. So this is why right now, for example, in a market that we have today with all the concern and headwinds that we've been talking about and rates and wars and all that, we have a 20% cash buffer against the backdrop of stocks from core positions. And we're using this buffer as a small and, and relatively um, reasonable hedge until the volatility clears up and some of the headwinds drop down a bit. $50,000 is the minimum to invest here. It's held at Interactive Brokers. This is more for an aggressive investor, of course. There's no bonds usually. There's no mutual funds in that strategy. So that's what I did. There we go. I answered Eric and a few other, uh, Chris, excuse me, not Eric, Chris. I answered Chris' question and some other questions that were asking, what do we do? How do we do it? And, and talked a little bit about how we develop strategies and what the strategies look like and what and how you can, in fact, help yourself through financial literacy, right? We, we've, uh, what, what we do is, is give advice, we manage money, we invest, and we help you with your investments. So here's your chance to reach out, you know, get a free book uh, over at thedisciplineinvestor.com. And I hope I answer the questions that you have and uh, what you do. And aside from... Um, Coming every week in, in terms of education. So thanks for pushing me to do that because I don't usually do that. I just hope to really give you what you want. I don't want to, some people are turned off a little bit about me talking about what we do because it's not trying to be a sales pitch, but people want to know. So I, there, you, there you have it. So I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of others that want to know as well. Hey, listen, we have a short show today. I just want to cover that. We have Easter, we have Passover weekend, all this happening at once. Good Friday, this just, just passed. Um, so I want to end right there and tell you thank you so much for listening each and every week. Go over to disciplineinvestor.com and uh, get your free book if you're part of that, and we can help out with that to help with your financial literacy. We'll continue to educate throughout the month of April, as, of course, it is Financial Literacy Month. So thanks for joining me this week, every week, every month, every year. I appreciate you. I'll see you again next week. 
discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.